Okay, where you are, I give you some time. Just pray. Pray for yourself and pray for the speaker. Wayne, here. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for this time that, God, we can learn from you. Lord, I pray as we ponder these tough questions, if God is good, why are there so much suffering and evil in this world? I pray that today you open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, Father, to listen to you, Father. I pray that you keep us awake and alert, even at this uh, a little bit more heavy topic but I pray that, God, it is a result of this, we will have a clearer understanding about who you are. I pray for your servant here, Wayne, that, God, you will anoint his lips. Bless him, let him speak forth your word clearly so that, God, we can understand. And we commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It's uh, a joy to be with you. It's my first time speaking at the second service. I did come here four years ago and then realized I was a little bit old to stay in the service, so I switched to the first service. <laughs> so apologies. But my name's Wayne. I've been in Singapore just over four years. I'm a missionary. I've been a missionary for over 20 years with a missionary agency called WEC, W-E-C. Um, but my profession is engineering. I'm a mechatronic engineer by profession. But I gave that up in 1992 to go into missions. So I went to Bible college, lived in France to learn the French language, and then went with a very young family to Chad. Now, does anyone know where Chad is? Some of you do. Good. Yes. Right. It's right in the heart of Africa. If you look at the map of Africa, it's right in the middle, just below Libya, and you've got Sudan, the very big country, to one side, and Ethiopia, and so on to the other side. So I went there with my young family in 1996. And it was really then that I started to wrestle with the subject of evil and suffering, because I saw so, so much of it. And even not just seeing it, but we experienced it as a family and in the first two years, we had break-in after break-in after break-in. And I don't just mean break-in. We had armed guards because it was a, quite a, a, in the capital city. It was a very violent place at that time. We had two armed guards. And even with two armed guards, we still had these break-ins by often it would be the military who hadn't been paid for weeks on end. But we were the only white faces in that area of town. And we were reaching out to, to Muslims. So I've seen suffering and I've struggled, even having our daughter help a ransom, and she was only 18 months. And you can imagine what that does to a father's heart and to a mother's heart when some, your child is taken off you in the streets and you have to find money to get her back. So I've been there, and I know some of you are right there today, struggling and wondering, what does God have to say? Well, Pastor Chi Meng said, this is a heavy subject, and it is, and I have no easy answers for you. What, what I did from the many years in Chad was teach chronological Bible storying to Muslim students. So in other words, you start in the book of Genesis, and we taught English using the Bible. And we taught 26, sorry, 32 lessons, in fact, going through the Old Testament scriptures, talking about the sacrificial system, talking about sin, talking about suffering. And at, at the end of each lesson, the students would say, Sir, Wayne, Mr. Wayne, is, you know, what's the answer? And they kept expecting me to say, Jesus. They wanted me to talk about Jesus. And I would say, well, who's Jesus? I said, we haven't got to that part of the story yet. But, they said, but the sacrificial system never, it's not working. What's the answer? I said, well, you have to be patient. Come back next week. And come back the week after. And this went on for six months of teaching in the Old Testament scriptures. At the end of the six months, they sat their exams. 
in English. They knew all the Old Testament stories better than I did because they learned them by heart, I wrote. And they still said, sir, the sacrificial system never worked. What is the answer? And I would say, okay, come back for superior class two next year. And inevitably, they all came back. Six months of studying Old Testament scriptures. They persevered and they waited. What I have to say to you today is heavy. It's not easy. It's no easy answers. And I'm not going to give you the answers. But this series is a four series. It's a, it's next week, Dr. Raj will speak on Jesus and suffering. And hopefully you'll start to get a glimpse of what Christ has done for us. But this morning we're going to deal with sin and its consequences and how it is an abomination to God, how he, he can't deal with it. He, he doesn't like it, you know, in that sense. It's so severe that there has to be punishment. So I hope you'll stay with me for the next 30 minutes or so. When, when we went home after our first two years in Chad, the elders at the church I went to wanted us to stay but they said, how could a good God permit you to go to such a violent place with a young family? And as church elders, they were responsible in one sense. And so they questioned whether we had heard God correctly and whether the mission agency we went with was justified biblically in sending us out. So they wrestled with those questions and asked us to stay home after our first two years because of, of what they'd heard, what we'd gone through. So it's a very real question, for not just for atheists and non-believers, but very much so for Christians and for teachers and pastors of churches. So this book, as uh, Pastor Chi Meng said, is based on uh, it's a lot of research that Andy, Randy Alcorn has done over two years. It's well-researched. It's about this thick. Not easy reading. But if you want to start to understand this subject, I encourage you to download it in Kindle or to buy the book. But he took two years to put it together. He interviewed Holocaust survivors, and he uh, interviewed people who had gone through extreme evil and suffering and came through it. He interviewed atheists as well along the way to get their questions and answers. So as we go through this series... Let's not, not, let's not let our feelings, if you like, real as they are, invalidate our need to let the truth of God's words guide us in our thinking. And remember, I want you to remember this, the path to your heart often travels, it does, it travels through the mind. So truth matters, and it needs to come into our minds today, because that's going to keep us going down the days and weeks, months and years ahead. So I think it's true to say most of you have experienced suffering. Some of you are suffering right now. Some of you are struggling as you see your parents suffer or your children suffer. You see family suffering, and it's not easy. So as you deal with that suffering, by all means, speak to a friend, a counselor. Speak to one of the pastors. Speak to one of the elders. Get help. But let's not ignore what God's Word has to say to us on this subject. Let's look at, uh, I have two, two subjects really to talk about this morning. First one is understanding the problem of evil and suffering, and then understanding evil, its origins, nature, and consequences. Well, we don't, we don't have to look very far, do we, to see suffering in the world, even if we're not facing it personally. Look around you, and you'll see it everywhere you, everywhere you go. And this is a picture of a small refugee camp which grew and grew and grew it's on the border of Chad and Sudan. Uh, there was an ethnic conflict going on between two Muslim tribes, and they were fighting and fighting. And the women and children came over from Sudan, from the Darfur region, into Chad, into this refugee camp. And I remember looking out into that refugee camp, asking those questions that we often ask. Why does a good God allow so much suffering and in, in this conflict, around 290,000 people lost their lives. That's a lot, isn't it? The tsunami of 2004 estimated 280,000 people lost their lives. 
What about the earthquake in Nepal earlier this year, in April? 8,000 or so lost their lives. Thousands and thousands injured. Millions made homeless. When you look at malaria, it claims 2 million lives at least every year. And most of those deaths, fatalities, are children in Africa. And sometimes, you know, we look, we hear those statistics, and because they're on such a grand scale, they don't impact us. But it's only when you see people's faces close up that people's eyes start to tell a story, don't they? It becomes more personal, and it affects our hearts. And only then does compassion start to flow. Pain is local. It has a face. Suffering is real. And we need to get to grips with it. What does God have to say to us on this? Because it will come, and it has come to many. And we owe it to ourselves to understand and unpack what God has to say on this subject. And we look at the Bible, and we look at all the different Bible characters who went through. He persevered through their sufferings and their struggles and their difficulties. And many of them asked God these tough questions. For example, Habakkuk, he said, How long, O Lord, must I cry for help, but you do not listen, or, you, or cry out to you, Violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Good questions, aren't they? The book of Psalms. Honest questions here again about evil and suffering. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away why do, you hide? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 10. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Psalm 44. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? And the book of Job, the book of Ecclesiastes talk about this randomness of, of life. You think of Joseph going through all the difficulties with his brothers, being enslaved, sold into slavery all those years. But remember Joseph at the end of chapter 50 of Genesis said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Think of Daniel being thrown into that lion's den, suffering, struggling. Yes, God saved him. And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, God saved them. And then we have Jeremiah, who was one of these very depressed prophets. He was called the weeping prophet. You see, Isaiah suffered and struggled as a prophet also. Remember Stephen in the book of Acts, stoned, wasn't saved, suffered severely by being stoned. And you think of Paul and his sufferings. Sufferings are listed in 2 Corinthians 11. He had been imprisoned frequently. He had been flogged severely, exposed to death again and again and again, pelted with stones. Three times he was shipwrecked. He was in danger from rivers and from bandits. So I think there's a lot that we can learn if we study and read our Bibles on suffering. And we're not the only ones to suffer. The saints right through the generations have suffered and asked the same questions that we're asking today. So by including these stories, I believe God is asking us, and he's saying it's okay to question. It's okay to shout out, and he invites our cries, and he wants us to be honest with him and tell him how we're feeling and what we're struggling with. He wants us to tell us our hopes, his hopes, our dreams, and our struggles and our difficulties. He invites those. But he wants us to be also willing to listen to his response. So yes, by all means, invite and ask those questions. But let's go searching for his response, which comes through his word and often through other people. In September 1992 was when Miriam and I went to Bible college. We left our professions at the end of August Miriam was a lawyer. I, I studied engineering or worked as an engineer. Went straight to Bible college. And that first week, I was telling the first service that our Hebrew lecturer led us in prayers because a young missionary family 
had just gone, flown out from that college to Nepal, and the plane had crashed into the mountains. And that young family, along with everyone else, was killed. Andrew Wilkins, age 38, his pregnant wife, Helen, 36, and they were traveling with their three children, with Hannah, 10, Naomi, 8, and Simeon, 6. And what I vividly remember about our Hebrew lecturer at that time was he really questioned God. He cried out to God, real tears, and just stood at the front like I'm standing in front of you, weeping and weeping and weeping, and saying, why, 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 O oh Lord? These are good people. Why do the wicked go un- unpunished? Were you sleeping, Lord? Are these not the same questions we have sometimes? And I was shocked just to see that a Christian would do that in public. But it helped me to see that it was okay. It was scriptural. It was okay. As long as we were prepared to listen to God's response. And then that Hebrew lecturer led us in prayers. And over the coming weeks, helped the students who knew that family very well to deal with their grief and to listen and to respond to to God's word. Well, you know, the problem of evil lies at the very heart of the biblical account and serves as the crux or the core of the unfolding drama of redemption. So Adam and Eve's sin caused God to bring judgment whilst at the same time setting in motion our redemption. So what is evil? What is it? And how does it differ from suffering? Well, God calls upon his people to embrace good and reject evil. He says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, these passages on the screen assume, therefore, they presume that you know the difference already between good and evil, between right and wrong. So what is evil? Well, Randy Alcorn in his book puts it very succinctly like this. He says, evil in its essence, refuses to accept God as God and put someone or something else in his place. I like that short definition. Evil, in its essence, refuses to accept God as God and put someone or something else in his place. And many today, you know, they understand evil as anything that harms others. The more harm you do to someone the greater the evil. However, the Bible uses the word evil to describe anything. That's anything that violates, that breaches, that disregards, goes against God's moral, righteous, and goodwill. When Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God, that was the first human evil. The consequence was suffering. Now, Randy Alcorn distinguishes between two types of evil, and I'm going to show you those just on the screen now. He calls primary evils. These are the immoral things we do. And then there's secondary evils, the consequences we suffer as a result of primary evil. So disobeying God was the original evil. And from that, that sin came the consequence of suffering. Now, I'm more teaching now rather than preaching, so I want you to try and stick with me because this is an important point that people bring up against Christians. So sometimes Scripture refers to calamities or disasters and tragic events as evils. So sometimes we can see both the primary and the secondary evils in the same context. So if we look at Jeremiah 11, and this is from the New American Standard Bible, We see both the primary and the secondary evils in the same context. So it says, The Lord of hosts who planted you has pronounced evil, wrath, against you because of the evil of the house of Israel and the house of Judah, which they have done to provoke me by offering up sacrifices, sacrifices to Baal. Now, if you look in your Bibles, if you have an NIV or an ESV, You'll see that first word, evil, has been translated possibly as disaster or calamity. So translators are correct in doing this because they recognize that the evil 
God brings is a consequence. It's a judgment upon Israel's actions. It's not a moral evil. Do you understand? It's, it's not a moral evil as something you know, committed by Israel, for example, in this example. God is righteous and just in bringing this disaster. And so for good reason, most translators normally render the ra as evil when used of people disobeying God, but disaster or calamity when used of God bringing judgment on sinful people. So, are you with me? It's not easy, is it? Heavy going. It's, it's like, uh, you know, a, a parent, they discipline their children for good reason. Not to harm them, but for good. And our father says the same, right to the Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, he says, God disciplines his children. And it's like a doctor. He inflicts pain. A surgeon inflicts pain often. But it's not for evil. It's to do good. It's to bring about a person's healing. And it's in the same sense here. This is what God is doing. Well, there are different worldviews that deal with evil and suffering. And Randy Alcorn lists six of them in his book. And we're not going to go into them today. I'm just going to talk about the Christian worldview. And one of the stories that is told in Randy Alcorn's book is about a fellow called Jeremy and his wife. And he was very bitter towards God because both his parents had been raised with cerebral palsy. And he really broke his father's heart when he told him at a young age that he would never, ever worship God because of what he'd done to his parents. He said, I will never worship him. Well, Jeremy grew up and he went on a train wreck, if you like. He went through drugs and alcohol. He went through rehabilitation several times. He had two separations from his wife. And his wife had been praying and praying for him for almost 30 years, 27 years. And one day he was arrested for drunk driving. And the story tells how he really broke down and he gave his life to Christ. After almost 30 years of pain and suffering, his wife, Sarah, wrote, wrote, this word, wrote these words. I'm here to tell you, I would not have the relationship with God that I have if I had not suffered deeply. God revealed treasures to me that can only be found, I believe, in the darkness. I think that's true for us as missionaries. When we worked in Chad and we saw, struggled with some of the difficulties that were going on, often, you know, you think you're going to do a work for God, but what happened was God starts to do a work in you. And I can honestly say that's what God did for us in Chad. He worked in us and through us and helped us and taught us some deep truths about himself wasn't easy, didn't come overnight, but we learned great secrets in that darkness. So Sarah comes to the problem of suffering and, and evil through the Christian worldview. And each of these worldviews on the screen tries to answer the question, how can we reconcile evil and suffering with a God who is all good, all powerful, and all knowing? And I can honestly say, having lived and journeyed with Christ since I was 16, and studied other worldviews, just like the ones on the screen that Randy mentions, the Christian worldview is the only one that really does deeply go into the problem and the issue of evil and suffering. And it deals with it adequately. There is a clear explanation for it. And there is hope for the future. And Raj will talk about that next week. Let me move on to the second question, understanding evil. Where does it come from? What about its nature? What about its consequences? Genesis 1.31, all that God created, he called very good. Very good. 
So that includes all the angels. All the angels. So it's misleading to say that God created Satan and demons. He didn't. He created everything. Everything was good. But then the angels, Lucifer, decided to rebel. They sinned. Evil entered the universe through Satan. And then the fallen angels. And Jesus, as you know, refers to him as the father of lies, a liar, a murderer from the beginning. He refers to him as the evil one and the prince of this world. So God, in one sense, foreknew that these angels would rebel, that they would go against him. But it didn't surprise him because he's all-knowing. And though demons hate us and they cause us suffering and difficulty in this life, in the end, we will see that God will have somehow used them for his glory and for our transformation. That's hard to grasp and understand, I know, but it's true. It's what God's Word tells us. Now, Scripture tells us when evil came into being, but not how. And Deuteronomy 29, 29, I think, applies to us here. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. So for some unknown reason, God has decided to remain silent on this subject. don't know why. But Randy Alcorn says, if evil is irrational, how can its point of origin be rationally explained? And I think he has a point. If evil is irrational... How can its point of origin be rationally explained? And he goes on to say this. Every parent of small children knows that giving no explanation is sometimes better than a partial explanation that misleads little minds. Perhaps then we should interpret God's silence about the origin of evil not as a refusal to explain, but as a kindness Maybe his explanation would, given our limitations, lead us to greater misunderstandings or even heresy. If evil is irrational, how can its point of origin be rationally explained? I think he has a good point. Well, after Adam and Eve sinned, God pronounced judgment, didn't he? And he said to the serpent, Cursed are you, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Who is he? The answer is the woman's offspring, isn't it? Who is your head? Satan. So Eve's descendants would crush the head of the serpent himself, Satan. That's key for us. That's key for us. So from the very beginning, God planned that his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would deal the death blow to Satan, to evil and suffering. And we'll hear more about that next week. 1 John 3, 8 tells us the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So God has both the power, yes, and he has the right to destroy Satan and the demons now which would demonstrate, I guess, his justice. But he wants to display his other attributes as well, which is love, mercy, and patience, and grace. Well, it doesn't get any easier, does it? You look at the book of Judges, this cycle of sin. Um, the book of Judges overflows with these terrible stories of evil and violence. You know, people keep sinning. God keeps judging. He sends consequences. They repent. He delivers them. They become self-satisfied again, and so they pursue evil again. And that circle of events goes on and on throughout Judges until we get to the very last line of the book of Judges. And it says this, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And again, this is a key passage for us. Because it's not us who determines what is right. It is God who determines what is right. And we can't understand evil 
without understanding the nature of God. And there are constant. God is holy, and therefore, He cannot overlook sin. It has to be atoned for. It has to be paid for. And that's why the sacrificial system was introduced in the Old Testament. But Hebrews 10 tells us it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see, God's standards are so high, are so high, that only a perfect sacrifice would do. And that's why Christ went to the cross. You see, the fall didn't end with God's plan for humanity. God will ultimately use evil to accomplish the greater end of redemption in Christ. So let me talk a little bit about inherited sin and our sin nature. In 1750, do you recognize this character? In 1750, in the history. John Newton. You know the story of John Newton? He wrote many famous hymns. Well, he was um, a slave trader in his early days. He would take his ship to the African coast, and there he would go looking and bartering and buying slaves. He would then take those terrified slaves back on board, chain them below decks in two-foot high pens. And that was to prevent suicides. And one ship could take up to 600 slaves. You can imagine the stench, chained to one another, no toilets, This is what John Newton did for a living. And then he would take them to America. But then one night, his uh, boat was involved in a storm. It went down. And he gave his life to Christ. But, you know, it didn't really make much of an impact because these terrible atrocities kept going on. He would allow his men to rape the women. He himself would do the same. But then, you know, the Lord really broke through, and he yielded his life totally to Christ, so much so that he left the slave trade. He then became a pastor in London, England, and he preached the gospel, he taught the scriptures, and he spoke out against the slave trade. And at the age of 82... Just before he died, he was physically blind. His memory had nearly gone. And he said this, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Now, Newton wrote many hymns, which the most famous one is Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He knew he was a wretch. You know, some of the modern translations put that word soul in. It tries to reduce it. But he knew what a wretch and an evil person he was. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. Found, but was blind, but now I see. And Newton clearly saw the evil in himself. And I have to ask myself, am I really any different? Are we really any different? To view evil accurately, we must see it above all as an outrageous offense against God. And when we hurt those we love, you know, we become aware of our sin, don't we? We know when we've hurt someone, we know when we've sinned, because that person kind of reflects back our sin. It's like a mirror. But the difficulty is we don't see God face to face. And sometimes we don't see just how much we've hurt him. And David, I think, uh, King David put his finger right on the issue here. He recognizes that the evil he did was against God. He said, I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. 
against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Remember David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, had Uriah the Hittite killed in frontline battle. He had no doubt agonized over the pain he had caused others and the sin and betrayal of Uriah. But he is recognizing that, that perhaps he had been mourning more over what he'd done to others than what he'd done to God. So often we limit our sorrow to the hurt we've caused others. This is, I think some of you might know him. It's Tulian Chivitchin, Billy Graham's grandson, a well-known and well-respected pastor in um, South Florida, in the USA. And just last month, he issued a statement to the Washington Post, June 21st. He said, "I I resigned from my position at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church today due to ongoing marital issues. As many, of, as many of you know, I returned from a trip a few months back and discovered that my wife was having an affair. Heartbroken and devastated, I informed our church leadership and requested a sabbatical to focus exclusively on my marriage and family. As her affair continued, we separated. Sadly and embarrassingly, I subsequently sought comfort in a friend and developed an inappropriate relationship myself. Last week, I was approached by our church leaders, and they asked me about my own affair. I admitted to it, and it was decided that the best course of action would be for me to resign. Both my wife and I are heartbroken over our actions, and we ask you to pray for us and our family that God would give us the grace we need to weather this heart-wrenching storm. We are amazingly grateful for the team of men and women who are committed to walking this difficult path with us. Please pray for the healing of deep wounds, and we kindly ask that you respect our privacy. Now, please don't hear me wrong. I'm not judging uh, Jillian. But what I'm trying to get at is that pastors, not just pastors, church leaders, all of us, you know, those who have committed adultery, yes, we feel profoundly, let's say, you know, a deep consequence of the evil that we've done and the sin we've done. Particularly, you feel for your wives, you feel for your congregations, and you feel for your family, fellow pastors. And they may feel deep sorrow for the hurt they've brought, but sometimes they fail to see that their primary sin is against God. Now, perhaps Chilean had confessed that he knew that, but in this statement released to the press, it doesn't cover that issue. And what I'm trying to say is that often we fail to see that we have sinned against God above all. And then, you know, no matter how much or how bad we feel about what we've done to others, we will always inevitably minimize our sin if we don't see it first as an abomination against God. God is holy. Well, I think of the natural disasters question that people ask, you know. People blame God for natural disasters. How could a good God allow these disasters to take place? And Randy Alcorn deals with this at great length. We won't do that today. But he talks about how God created the world as a perfect world. He was the architect. He planned it from the beginning. But it's we who are the tenants who have punched holes in that umbrella that protected the earth into the, in the atmosphere. And he says, why blame the tenants who have caused, or why blame the builder if it's the tenants who have caused the issues? You know, our moral evil, primary evil, if you like, has caused natural disasters to multiply. Forest fires, are often caused by negligence or on purpose. We build houses in areas where we know are vulnerable to flooding and to landslides and to earthquakes. Some perish because they refuse to evacuate. We pollute the rivers and wonder why people get sick. Remember, God placed a curse on earth 
due to Adam's sin, Genesis 3.17. That curse extends to everything in the natural world and makes it harder for people to live productively. And again, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, deals with this in 8.20. He says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And then the next verse says, the whole creation has been groaning as in the paths or in the pains of childbirth. So earthquakes and volcanoes and tsunamis reflect the frustration, the bondage and and decay of an earth groaning under sin's curse. Earthquakes, tsunamis are not moral agents and therefore cannot be morally evil. Let me try and wrap this up. I'll tell you one story from Randy Alcorn's book again. It tells the story of a teenager who didn't want to be seen in public with her mother because her mother's arms were terribly disfigured. They were burned. Anyway, one day she took the daughter out to shopping with her. And as she went to pay for the goods, the mother reached out and the clerk behind the, the counter jumped back in surprise because she was horrified by the burns on this mother's arms and hands. And the daughter broke down. And when she got home, she ran straight to her room and said to her mother, I'm so embarrassed to be with you, mother. I don't want to go out again with you. And the mother, understandably hurt, waited for her daughter to calm down a little bit. Then she went to the daughter's bedroom. And she explained for the very first time how she'd got those scars on her arms. And she said, when you were a baby, I woke up to a burning house. Your room was an inferno. Flames were everywhere. I could have gotten out of the front door, but I decided I'd rather die with you than leave you to die alone. I ran through the fire and wrapped my arms around you. Then I went back through the flames, my arms on fire. When I got outside on the lawn, the pain was agonizing. But when I looked at you, all I could do was rejoice that the flames hadn't touched you. That girl was stunned. She looked at her mother through new eyes, weeping in shame and gratitude. She kissed her mother's hands and arms. I trust as we journey together through these difficult issues of evil and suffering, why, why, that we will start to see it afresh through new eyes. God will speak to us. It's not an easy subject. And I don't have the answers for you today, but persevere. Raj is coming next week. (laughs) And and, and Edwin the following week, and then Pastor Cockfy. But listen, please, wrestle with these subjects, but be prepared let Scripture speak to you. Let it affect your minds and your heart. As in bad things do not happen to good people. Why not? Because in this world, truly, good people do not exist. The fact remains that we are fallen, we are corrupt, and under the curse, and deserve hell. And one day, yes, we will be relieved. And suffering, we relieve of evil and suffering, but for now, we live in a world with a lot of evil and suffering. And the Apostle Paul, again writing to the Romans in 8 to 18, says, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that you revealed your word to us today. I pray that we would soak in Scripture, let it speak not only to our minds, but also to our hearts. You show us what you want us to grasp. Some of us are really struggling right now and suffering. And we need you to come alongside us and help us, to reassure us. So, fathers, we wrestle with these questions. We pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just uh, spend some moment just quietly before the Lord. We talk about evil in the world. Maybe it's time to talk about the evil in our own heart. just pondering upon the evil in our own heart, let us also focus on what Christ has done for the evil in our own heart as well as the evil in the world. rice and then uh, Christ is our redeemer is our savior is our friend let's sing verse 1 again Devoted to the end, 
we thank you today for speaking to us Lord through your word though there are some things God you do not reveal fully the origins of evil and yet God you conquered evil with your life you took care of the evil both in the world as well as the evil in our hearts and we thank you Lord thank you for your blood Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that there is hope in us. There is hope. That God, as you look at this, there is hope because God one day will see you in glory. And I want to just pray for those who are suffering right now, Father. They may not understand why they are going through pain at the moment. I pray that God, in the midst of the pain, they will experience you. They will experience your comfort they will experience your presence. And I pray that God, you will walk with them through these moments, Father. And I thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for us. You experienced suffering yourself for our sake. Thank you, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Amen.